Well, the title of our sermon uh, this morning is Imperishable Glory, Part 1. This will be Part 1 of 2, Imperishable Glory. And we are nearing the end of our study through the book of 1 Corinthians. Today we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 to 49. But before we get there, to understand the purpose of resurrection and how resurrection is actually, actually logical, that's what Paul is going to defend that we have to remember that God did not create the human race to die. In fact, when God created Adam, his purpose for Adam, we believe, was to live forever. Because if you understand that eternal life is not a thing in of itself, eternal life is great, but the reason why people die, the reason why we die, is because sin severed the relationship between the man God created, and Eve, Adam and Eve, man and woman, and an eternal God. So if your relationship with an eternal being is severed, that's why we die. But as long as there is a relationship that is redeemed, a relationship that's renewed, and a relationship that's maintained with an eternal being, you naturally will live forever. It completely makes sense that God is our creator. He is our source of life. All things were created through him and for him. And that is for Christ. And so when God created Adam, this perfect, unhindered relationship with God, that was his purpose. But because sin entered, I want you to remember this word called dominion. I'm not talking about the voting machine or company, okay, but dominion. The purpose God gave Adam in Genesis chapter 1, if you want to grab your Bibles, you can look at it. Genesis chapter 1, if you look at Genesis 1, 27 and 28, the purpose of God creating human beings, first in verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and it says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, including serpents. Over, over. See, you see that repeated. Have dominion over. That is what it means to subject everything under you, to put under your feet. Man was created, the human race was created to reign as God's vice regents, to exercise dominion over the animals. And yes, man being equal, created in the image of God, we were supposed to not reign over each other, but to live in harmony under the one king, under God. But now, there is no human being that is not under the dominion of death. You can die from other humans. They can murder you like Cain murdered Abel. You can die from disease. We know in this past year how disease can have dominion but everyone who's in a physical frame you are under the dominion of death none of us can escape physical death so when you see your body deteriorating when you see cancer and various diseases and even COVID-19 you see that that's a reminder that we were born under dominion we were supposed to exercise dominion over the animals now certain animals can kill us Viruses can come from animals to kill us as well. 
So everything that we were supposed to have dominion over, death reminds us that now that has dominion over us. And if you can understand that, then life does not make sense if there is victory over death. And victory over the death, death is not laying in a grave. Sin is what puts you into the grave. Being six feet under is not victory over death. Victory over death requires resurrection. And so resurrection has to happen. There has to be, by design, resurrection because we were created to live forever because we were supposed to live in relation with a forever God. Now, with that understanding, with that understanding, we go into our passage this morning. If you have God's word, turn to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 to 49. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 to 49. I'll read it to you as we go along. But the first thing that we see in verse 35 are questions regarding the resurrected body. These are questions regarding the resurrected body. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35, Paul says, But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? How is it possible that the body, the dead body can be resurrected, in other words? And then he asks, with what kind of body do they come? In other words, what does the resurrection body look like? So those are the opening questions. But what we have to understand that these sound like innocent questions. And in reality, if you and I were asking it, if you were seeking Jesus Christ, and if you were really asking, if you were really asking, you know, how, how is that possible when your body dies? Like, how, how does that happen? You're actually asking a scientific question? Like, how is that possible scientifically? Because I thought the body dies. I thought the body deteriorates. What if you're cremated? Because, you know, we believe that you can be buried or cremated. You know, is, is, as a Christian, do we believe that God's powerful enough? <laughs> he created man out of dust. Can he gather all that dust? The answer is yes. What if, what if the dust is scattered in the ocean and it goes everywhere? Can, you know, are, are we going to have our resurrected body? Do you think God cannot do that? <laughs> and so those are all innocent questions, right? And then, and then the question of what is it going to be like? What is that resurrection body going to be like? I think if you were asking me as a seeker, those are innocent questions. But Paul, you know right away, Paul is not dealing with innocent questions. He's dealing with people who are purposely trying to challenge Christianity, and they're purposely trying to argue against Christianity. And so that's why he calls them fools. We're not supposed to call people raka. Right? We're not supposed to call our brothers fools, but he's dealing with truly the foolish person. And so in verse 36, Paul refers to these hypothetical questions not as coming from genuine seekers, but as, as from the foolish person. And I want you to notice, before we get to verses 36 to 41, how he answers. There's a reason why he does not give us a scientific response. They're asking, maybe, for a scientific response. Paul's not against science. Science is a good tool. It is a good and necessary instrument. But for those of you who love science, you tell me, what is science? Science requires a process of reproduction. You have a hypothesis and you test it. In order for science to work, you need to be able to reproduce whatever it is that you're testing. Like the COVID-19 vaccine, you test it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. 
That's science. You have to be able to reproduce it. But when it comes to a miracle, you can't reproduce a miracle. That's the whole idea of a miracle. You can't reproduce it. It's supernatural. God can reproduce it, but you can't reproduce the resurrection in a science lab. And that's why science is excellent. It is God-given and God-ordained, but it is the wrong instrument to measure a miracle. And that's why when they ask, how is the resurrection possible? Paul's like, I can't answer that for you. I'm going to answer differently. I'm going to answer not how it's scientific, how it's logical, how it's possible. That's how he's going to answer Okay, and so that's point number one. Let's go into point number one. How is the resurrection body possible? That's how he's going to answer. Okay, so verse 36, he says, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. He's saying it's logical. Verse 37, what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain, but God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed in its own body. So you see that there's three illustrations in these verses here. The first illustration is of various seeds or plants or crops. We know that a seed has potential to become a plant. But when you look at a seed, a seed to you, you don't really think of the potential. You're like, that's a dead seed. It's not a plant yet. It's just a seed. So what seems dead actually carries potential that if, if, if it is nurtured correctly, put into the ground, watered with sunlight and God's common grace, that that's going to grow into a plant, a crop, something that you can eat, a vegetable eventually that you can eat. And so Paul makes this analogy that it's just like, just like how God can grow a seed into a plant, God has the supernatural power to raise the dead to life. And again, that goes back to my il il illustration, my opening illustration. We were not created to die, folks. Friends, we were created to live in a perfect relationship with an eternal God. We were created to live forever. If Adam never sinned, we would have lived forever. We were created to live. We were not created to die. Because of death, there has to be resurrection. That's his purpose. The seed is not just meant to just be a seed. The seed carries the potential to become life. And our bodies, our physical bodies, are like seeds. We were meant to have resurrection. But because of sin, the only way to have resurrection is through Christ. Now, the second illustration in verse 39 is that God's design for different, for different uh, creatures with different types of bodies so he basically says, look, you look at creation, he creates different types of creatures with different types of bodies. Is not the resurrection body a type of body? Very simple to, in his thinking. Right? Again, he's not explaining the scientific process because he can't. He's just saying, look what God does. In fact, look at creation. If God can do this, why can't he do that? That's what he's saying. So let me read to you verse 39. He says, For not all flesh is the same. There's one kind for humans, that's our physical earthly body, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. So there are ones who can survive in water. He's not talking about Baptists versus Presbyterians, okay, but he's talking about fish. He's like, birds have wings, they can survive in the air, but guess what? Humans can't fly. 
right? And another for other types of animals and, and then one for humans. And humans, we have an emotional system. We have an inner self. We have a soul as well. And then he provides in verses 40 to 41 a third related illustration. He says there's differences between the heavenly bodies and the earthly bodies because when you consider the heavenly bodies, when you look up into the skies, you see God revealing himself through various forms of his splendor that give light. God is light. God is not the sun. God is not the moon. God is not the stars in and of themselves. These are things that people have made into idols during ancient times. People worship the sun god, the moon god, the stars, or these things in and of themselves, but they reflect God in, in the sense of reflecting the creator, but they're different. There's the glory of the sun, the, and then there's the moon, and then there's, there's the myriad of stars. There's the countless stars in the universe, but they are distinct displays of his splendor. If that is the case, then why can't God say, here's an earthly body, Here's a resurrected body. In fact, you were created for the resurrected body. You're created for this different heavenly body. Let me read that to you. Verse 40, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly one is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. So there's a distinction. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, and stars differs from stars so even among the stars there are distinctions in glory so if there are distinctions there why can't there be distinctions in the body so once again paul does not answer scientifically because we can't answer in terms of god's creation in in terms of the miracle of a resurrected body but he does say look it's logical it makes sense only the foolish person doesn't believe in the resurrection and believes that you were created just to die and decay Point number two is the second question that he answers. So the first is, how is the resurrected body possible? How is the resurrection possible? The second is, what will the resurrected body be like? What will it be like? And we see this in verses 42 to 49. Now first, in verses 42 to 44, Paul argues that unlike our earthly bodies, our resurrection bodies will be glorious and imperishable. And this is where I will be drawing the main points of the passage from our resurrection bodies will be glorious because they will be like christ they will be imperishable because they cannot perish they cannot fade they cannot die all right verse 42 to 44 let me read that to you verses 42 to 44 it says so is it with the resurrection of the dead what is sown is perishable what is raised is imperishable it is sown in dishonor. So he's talking about the body, the physical earthly body. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So what do you see there? Students of the Bible, you see distinction. You see Paul over and over again. He's like, there's a distinction. I want you to see that pattern of distinction, right? He says perishable versus imperishable, dishonorable versus glorious, weak versus powerful, 
natural versus supernatural. Everything about our earthly frame, everything about our earthly bodies, including our earthly souls, because if the soul is not born again, it's a dead soul, right? It will die, and it will eventually face judgment in eternity. But the soul needs to be renewed. Your inner self needs to be renewed. The physical will pass away, but you will receive a resurrected body for those who are in Christ. He has these distinctions. So first, let me be clear then and explain that this resurrection body does not mean that there won't be any physical attributes. That's very important. That goes back to the purpose of creation, right? Is that, yes, redemption and salvation is spiritual first and foremost in nature. But that does not mean that there's no physical attribute. The perfect illustration is Jesus. When Jesus came walking and appearing to his disciples, they recognized him. They were terrified because he was different, but they weren't like, huh, what is that? Who's that? They recognized. They recognized Christ. He was able to show them his scars. There were some physical attributes that we haven't seen, but his disciples, they recognize this is Christ, yet it's completely different. So there are some physical attributes that are not under the dominion of sin and the human flesh. There's something unique, but something is retained about God's good and perfect creation. And so let me go through now the four, the four points under this second point or four subpoints that Paul gives us in these verses. First, in verse 42, if you'll look in your Bible once again, he explains that the earthly body is sown, is perishable, our bodies will fall apart, and we will eventually pass away, and our bodies will decay. What is raised is imperishable. Now, this is powerful because we are so terrified by disease, and we should take concern when it comes to disease. But we have to remember that the body is meant to be perishable. So yes, we should eat healthy, we should try to exercise, we should rest, we should receive medical treatment. Don't be crazy and, not, and reject medical treatment because you think that uh, you know, it's only about the Spirit's healing. Yes, pray for healing, but don't be so foolish to reject medical treatment. Use discernment. But anything that you do, Christian doctors understand that all they can give you is a foretaste of what is to come. They can give you something temporary to deal with symptoms. They can't stop death. They can't stop your body from decaying. They can't stop that from coming. Maybe plastic surgeons don't understand that yet, but the regular doctor does. That, that you can't, whatever you do, you can't reverse the curse. And so that helps us as Christians understand that your bodies are perishable. So when you begin to get weak, when you begin to suffer aches and pains, you say that this is a result of sin entering the world. Yes, but this is natural. But if your soul starts to go backwards, then you've got a big problem. If you're getting older and grumpier, that's death. If you're decaying physically, but inwardly you're, you're becoming more full of peace and joy, then you know you're truly living. But if you grow bitter, not able to forgive, more divisive, more polarized, more paranoid as you get older, then you know you got something really sick going on in your heart. And we as Christians, we 
can say that with love and grace because we say hallelujah, praise the Lord, right? Because that's the true redemption. There's difference. The perishable is supposed to be the body because of sin. The imperishable is supposed to be the soul. But so many times in this world, we focus more on, once again, the plastic surgery, the physical maintaining. We're afraid that our bodies aren't good looking anymore or it's decaying or we're not as strong. We, fi- we focus so much on stopping the wrinkles or the, the liver marks or dyeing our hair. I mean, none of that's sinful. It's up to your heart. It's up to your motivation. But just let the body decay. Take care of yourself, but let it decay. Work on the inner. Second, verse 43. Because of the effects of sin upon every human being, our earthly bodies are sown in dishonor. But in Christ, we have a resurrected body that are raised in glory. So there's something about this physical body that's enslaved to the flesh. But when you're raised in glory, you understand that it is the imperishable inner nature that's glorious, that's going to be honorable to God. Once again, God looks at the heart. God cares most, not about what's happening on the outside. He looks into the heart and he sees, I want to know where you are spiritually. I want to know if you love me. I want to know what your motivation and your intentions are. I care about what I see inside your heart. I look upon the humble, God says. I see who's faking it on the outside. I see the Pharisees and their self-righteous prayers. I see all of it. But I care about what's going on in your heart. That is what is being raised to glory. It is the inner. Thirdly, verse 44, the earthly body is a natural body with all the natural limitations we experience. This includes our susceptibility to sickness, disease, and death, but our resurrected bodies will be raised a spiritual body. I hear all the time, and I'm, I'm, I'm joking, you know this, because it's not, it's not bad, but people say, I want it all natural, and I say, I want it all supernatural, <laughs> because the Bible tells me the natural is bad, right? The natural is limited. People are like, I want it all natural. I want it supernatural. I don't want it manufactured. I want it supernatural. <laughs> and so what awaits the believer who passes away is a resurrection body that is far more glorious than our present earthly bodies but it begins with the inward renewal. Fourth, verses 44 to 49, which I'll read to you after giving you the explanation, is that Paul explains in verses 45 to 49 that while our earthly bodies reflect the fallenness of Adam, the first man, our resurrection bodies will reflect Christ. You see over and over again through this chapter the comparison and the contrast between Adam to Christ and Christ as the true and better Adam. Adam was supposed to be something for God. He was supposed to exercise dominion. He was supposed to be the representation of God's creation. He was supposed to be, uh, to, to be God's vice regent. He was supposed to rule, representing God, and reproduce image bearers of God. You understand what that means, right? That's the Great Commission before the Great Commission needed a redemptive aspect. That is, be fruitful and multiply, in other words, through the context of covenant relationships of marriage have sexual unions where you would reproduce children generation after generation made in the image of God where the whole earth would be full of people who would reflect God and His glory. The whole earth was supposed to be filled, spread out, and fill this earth 
with worshipers and image bearers of God. After the fall of man, you needed a great commission. Go, therefore, to all the nations and make disciples, people who are redeemed, who will worship and, and reflect the image of God as that image of God is being renewed within people. Where Adam failed, Christ comes as the true and better Adam. And that is why Christ had to be a human being. Christ had to be two things about Christ that had to happen. One, he had to be a human being. Two, a virgin birth was necessary. If God said, okay, man has fallen, we're going to create a, a different creature, not an Adam, but something else, then you can't have redemption of the human race. It's almost like God saying, I have to scrap this. Satan, okay, you got me better on this one. I got to create something all brand new. But no, God says, Satan, you did not win. I'm going to create a man, or there's going to be a man. There's going to be a descendant of Eve, the seed, Genesis 3.15, a seed of the woman. But because sin passes through, anybody who is born of natural birth is under the curse of the fall, that this child is going to be 100% human, but born 100% of a virgin birth miracle. And that God-man becomes the true and better Adam. Now, with that understanding, and I'll give you a little more, I want to read to you verses 45 to 49. It says this, Thus it is written, this is a reference to Genesis 2-7, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a living spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. And then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born in the image of the man of the dust, we shall also bear the image of the man who is heaven, uh, of heaven. So he's talking about every human being born in the image of Adam. We all reflect Adam. We have the fallenness of sin, but we're all human beings as well. But yet, if you're born again, if there's a second birth, if you're born spiritually, then you not only have the reflection of the fallenness that, that we get from Adam, but you get Christ, the true and better Adam. You get the down payment, which is the Holy Spirit. Christ is the, fourth, the first fruits of the resurrection. And so, you understand that, that Adam was supposed to live forever. Adam failed. Death entered. Disease entered. Sin entered. Crime and murder entered. But Christ comes and redemption comes through Christ. And so our resurrected bodies, to answer that question that Paul wants to answer, he's saying that our resurrection bodies, what will it look like? Well, I haven't seen it. The disciples did, the early church, the first witnesses did, but it's in the likeness of Christ that our resurrection bodies will be like, imperishable, glorious, and free of sin. So that's the big idea. The big idea this morning is that in the likeness of Christ, our resurrected bodies will be imperishable, glorious, and free of sin. But let me help you understand the big picture a little more applicationally. We're going to do a little bit of Bible study to really help you understand 1 Corinthians 15 and to take it home. In Revelation chapter 20, remember where we started, right? Adam was supposed to exercise dominion. He was supposed to what? Put everything under subjection. 
he was supposed to, even the serpent, he was supposed to crush the serpent's head. When the serpent came in and said, Eve, did God really say that you can't eat from that tree? Did God really say that? And to question God's word? And Adam was supposed to say, Eve, don't listen to that serpent. We were told by God to exercise dominion and to work and keep the garden. And Adam was supposed to crush the head of the serpent and say, serpent, get out of the garden. I am supposed to keep and guard the garden. That's what Christ came to do. So his redemption in defeating death, it's not just, okay, I died and I rose again. Now death is gone. Because then it would be like God could only redeem the spiritual. It would be like God looks at Satan and says, Satan, you messed up my creation. And I can only redeem the spiritual side. You messed up that physical creation. I'm never going to have that, that dominion. I'm never going to have that kingdom here on earth. It, that's what it would be like if Satan messed it up. It's like when you build, you know, when, when you build a, a little toy thing as, as, as you're, you're the older sister and your little brother comes and knocks it down. And you're like, it's ruined. I mean, do you think that Satan can do that to God? So Revelation 20 gives us a time and some people are always confused saying why is there this earthly period before we get into the eternal state why is there this temporary time why is satan defeated twice how does that make sense so revelation 20 tells us that jesus comes back he comes back in glory then he takes satan and notice how he describes Satan, or how Satan is revealed to the Apostle John, he's described as the serpent. Let me read it to you. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hands the key to a bottomless pit in a great chain, and he seized the dragon and the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, threw him into the pit, shut it, sealed it in, sealed it over him, so that he might not what? the great deceiver, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, no longer. Did God really say that, Eve? Did God really say that? Until the thousand years were ended, after that he must be released for a little while. That does, what, what is that all about? Jesus, you're coming back. Why not just destroy Satan and we all go into the new heavens, new earth? What's this all about? This thousand years. What? Somebody had to be the true and better Adam. So it's like Jesus saying to God, your created purpose will be carried out. You will have your kingdom, Father. I will put all things under subjection. I will take that serpent, I'm going to put him in a pit for a thousand years. And he's going to know that for a thousand years on this earth, everything is going to be put under subjection. And Christ, being that true and and better Adam, will exercise dominion over the face of this earth. Then after the thousand years are over, he will take the kingdom and hand it over to God and say, here was your kingdom. Here's where Adam failed. Christ is a true and better Adam. Here's your kingdom. Now, Father, I subject myself to you. Let's go to the new heavens, new earth. You don't believe me? Go back to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Let me read to you a portion of last week's passage. Go to verse 20, 1 Corinthians 15, 20. This 
is what we mean by first fruits, beloved. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man, that's Adam, came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. What, what is that? When is the end? When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. After what? After exercising dominion. After doing what Adam was supposed to do. After destroying every rule and every authority and power, he must reign until, so a thousand years, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, doing what Adam should have done. The last enemy to be defeated is death. Because what? Death entered when Adam sinned. Verse 27, For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things under subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, and the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Now you understand it. That's what needs to happen. Christ returns. He exercises dominion for a thousand years. He is the true and better Adam. And then he says, where Adam failed, I've accomplished. Here's your kingdom, God. Here's your saints. Here's dominion across the face of the earth. Here's the image bearers, renewed, resurrected bodies. Now we go. And so when we make resurrection all about death, we're missing the point, right? Resurrection is more than just eternal life and, and life after death. That's part of it. But resurrection is very much the redemption of God's original purpose, but made better in Christ. And so something about our resurrected bodies is that God's good creation will be redeemed and it will be renewed and it will be much better. And so when you look at the physical, you're looking, there was a purpose for the physical body. And it will be renewed, and it will be to a point where it's not this body anymore. It will, there will be some resemblance. But as the soul's renewed, it will be glorious, and it will be imperishable, and we look forward to that day. And so if you don't have Christ this morning, we beg you that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to experience the true kingdom. Through Adam, you're under a greater disease than anything else. It is the disease of sin. It is the disease that exercises dominion over you and over your soul. This morning, I invite you to place your trust in Christ who has exercised dominion over sin and death on the cross, and one day we will see him exercise dominion over the face of this earth, and then we will be under his dominion, worshiping with, with him in the new heavens and new earth forever. And if you don't have him this morning, I invite you to confess that you are in sinner, a sinner in need of the cross of Christ, in need of his death and resurrection. Ask him to help you repent. Repent means to change. Say, God, change my heart. Renew my heart this morning. And say, Lord, I want you to be my God. I want you to be the king of my heart, the king that you already are, the king that you are going to be after you return. 
and ask him to begin to reign in your heart because one day he's going to reign and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me pray. Will you join me, please? Father, we come before you and oh, we look forward to that day when you will return in glory. Lord, we believe that you are the true and better Adam. We believe, Lord, that you bring us into an imperishable kingdom with imperishable bodies because we were made for relationship with an eternal, sovereign, and everlasting God. Father, I want to pray for anyone in here this morning who does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior that's still living under the dominion of sin and death. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you in the power of your spirit would do your efficacious work and that you would draw them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, if there's anyone in here this morning who has prayed to ask you to be their Lord, to ask you for forgiveness, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would save them. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to renew our church, bring revival as we reopen indoors. Help us to worship you now. In Jesus' name we pray.